On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Bernadette, and Bernadette was in a toxic relationship with a possessive narcissist. It's a story of sexual abuse, superficiality, extreme withdrawal, and semantics. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspective. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Bernadette, I just first want to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBot, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to ranking. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show at NarcissistApocalypse.com. At the top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button, takes you to Guest Form, you fill it out, and away we will go on the process from there. But another way to be part of our show is to be on our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. You can also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, but on the side of the page, there's a floating button that says Send Voicemail. Click on that button. It records up to five minutes if you need more than five minutes, press it twice. You don't want to read the letter yourself? You send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com and me or my old pal Melissa will read your letter instead. Now also at our website, we are now offering high conflict parenting courses at NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. Yes, we have now partnered with an online parenting company called Online Parenting and many of the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy, and if you have not listened to our episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know, or you now know, that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and he's now helped create many parenting courses to help you through divorce and to help support your children, too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country, so if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And this week we did... We added uh, something new to our Patreon, which will be debuting uh, October 31st at 9 p.m. And what we are debuting is online live uh, support groups. So that's going to be every Saturday. So if you join our Patreon now every week, we're going to be doing a support group on Saturday night. And maybe we get enough people, we might start doing uh, two uh, support groups a week. Uh, so other things that we have on our Patreon, uh, you know, uh, shows that have never aired before, uh, follow-up episodes with other guests and some pop culture type things that Melissa and I do together. And that is at patreon.com slash narcissist apocalypse. So if you want to support the show, join our Patreon. 
And before we start the show, I just want to say uh, two things. We discussed a lot of uh, sexual abuse during uh, this conversation. It has a lot to do with the story uh, in her early life and then, and then uh, later on in her relationship. Also, there is a point of this call and this conversation where uh, we change from uh, phone audio to straight computer audio through Skype because we needed to change for sound reasons. And another thing is that this was originally uh, two stories of two different toxic relationships. Uh, in here, we are only using one story here, and it's our second uh, toxic relationship. So you'll notice that there is a cut. I will also be putting myself in explaining that uh, during the episode. And now, uh, without further ado, uh, here is my conversation with Bernadette. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me tonight, I have Bernadette. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I said tonight, I revealed that this was not during the day. I don't know what I'm thinking, and now I am rambling. So I'm going to get out of my way and your way. Bernadette, the floor is now yours. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I guess I'll start with childhood, because I think this stuff always kind of starts there, right? Um, So I grew up in kind of like a pretty bad environment um my parents used drugs and they were just awful with each other both pretty toxic personality um my mom has borderline diagnosis but i'm pretty sure there's some borderline in there um or sorry she has bipolar and and i'm pretty sure there's borderline in there as well um having gone to school to kind of study that um but yeah so there was a lot of abuse a lot of physical fights in front of us um and then yeah, just um, a lot of moving and stability kind of things. Um, fast forward to when I was about eight years old, um, my mom left my dad um, and got with my stepdad, and it actually got worse from there. Um, and, yeah, uh, like within a month of moving in with my stepdad, which was only like two months after they moved, you know, away from each other or, or she left my dad, um, yeah, like, that was the first time he ever, like, punched me in the face. So, like, horrible situation kind of growing up. Again, instability, moving around all the time. Um, my mom had a lot of anger and, like, would just kind of, she could be, like, super sweet. And then, like, the next moment, it was, like, a rage fest. And so there was, like, never really knowing what you were going to kind of deal with emotionally. Um, and then on top of that, kind of just, like, earliest memory going back is um and I don't know how explicit you're comfortable with me sharing but like I was being sexually you know abused as a child by my brother um starting at like four or five on on up until I was 15 um so that was going on and all of that kind of you know led into some of the stuff that did happen later on um but yeah so at 15 though I did move out of my mom's house um, and was like, I can't take this anymore. This environment is just horrible. Before then, I I didn't even realize that it was wrong because it had always been the situation and it was just like, 
um, a youth pastor kind of was like found out about it and she was like trying to get us out of the situation legally, but as things often go, it was just not working. Um, so I moved in with my grandparents when I was 15. Um, and things were actually not too bad between 15 and 18. Um, I lived with my grandparents and my grandfather was a pastor and I'm not religious now, but he really kind of had very, um, good morals and he was just kind of an amazing man. Um, he took care of me until I was 18. Um, but they didn't really have the money to put me through college and of course I wasn't getting that from like my family life. Um, so I joined the military, um, the Navy specifically. I, um, yeah, I, after boot camp, um, I went to my training school and that's the first time ever that I ever had any romantic relationship. Um, and that was pretty kind of much the whirlwind in the sense that like your first relationship, even though I was 18, it had that like high school relationship feel to it. Um, we got engaged, um, and then I, you know, got pregnant and he kind of ended the relationship like a week later. And, um, yeah. And then, so, and I hadn't, I didn't talk to him. Like he had the phone call where he ended things and I didn't talk to him again until my son, um, was a year old. Um, actually like right before his like first year birthday. Um, but so I kind of took this like hiatus from dating at that point and I didn't date anyone until my son was in the military. Um, and that's kind of when I got back in contact with who would be my husband, um, North one, if you, if you will. Um, hi everyone. This is a post recorded, uh, Brandon right now. I just want to inform everyone that this was originally two different stories in one, and we're just telling one story. So, uh, Bernadette did date, uh, sorry, did marry someone who uh, was uh, a toxic uh, narcissist. Uh, she went through that relationship. It did not go well. And, you know, now we're moving into toxic relationship with a narcissist number two right here. We also changed uh, from going from a phone to going straight through the computer through uh, Skype here. So there is a sound difference as well. And now, without further ado, we are about to continue. Our conversation. Yeah, so I was coming out of this abusive relationship and I didn't really take any time and that's where I kind of led into me meeting my narc. Um, so he, well, originally I wasn't even intending to like meet anyone serious. I was just like kind of looking to have some physical fun, if you will. Um, and I, I was even doing that with like a couple of guys. Like it wasn't, it was all straightforward and honest. Like this is not going anywhere. This is not serious or anything like that. And, and that was all good and well. Um, and then I kind of vaguely like Facebook known my narc for a while. He was in a group that I, um, admin and he commented a lot and I kind of had like a little bit of a brain crush on him because he seemed super, super, super smart. Like, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met, um, unfortunately. Um, and I was like super attracted to that. And I was like, Ugh. and like, I was, I would like his comments a lot and stuff like that. And then one day he just messaged me. Um, and he was like, I saw you're going to do your course. I hope you're doing okay. How are you kind of thing? And I was like, Oh, well I'm doing well. And then I wanted to keep the conversation going because it kind of fizzled because I had a crush on this guy. Um, and I was like, Hey, I really noticed you can like 
philosophy a lot. Like, um, do you have any good recommendations for any philosophy, you know, reading or something like that? Like, super dumb, made a complete fool of myself. Um, but he lists off, like, 20 books that I'm never going to read, and I'm like, oh, I regret asking that question. Um, and I was like, thanks. And then conversation fizzled off anyways. A um, couple months later, he reaches back out, and he's like, He's like, hey, um, did you ever get a chance to read those books or any of those books? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't. Um, but he kind of keeps coming in and out, like hot and cold. He'll have a good conversation with me about, like, basically nothing. And then he kind of just disappears. And I'm like, oh, I thought he was actually going to, like, make conversation or something. You know, like, maybe I thought he was maybe interested. But it definitely fizzled out. It's like intellectual conversation kind of thing about the group or about, um you know, this political figure, that political figure, just generic conversation. And I was like, I really thought this guy was going to make a move. And I, maybe I was wrong. Um, and so being um, my job and what it is, I'm kind of like, you know what? Girls can make moves too. Um, and so the next time he kind of reached out and he's like, you know, have you read any of those political things? I was like, to be honest, I, or it wasn't political things. It was, it was um, philosophy, and I was like, to be honest, I have no real interest in philosophy other than just debate, um, and I I did not get a chance to read that. I was really just hoping to kind of get to talk to you more, um, and he was like, oh, really? Well, why is that? And this is kind of when the charm gets, like, heated up, like, super, super hot, and, like, low bombing kind of kicks in, um, and he's like, and I was just like, well, I mean, I guess if I'm being honest, I, I kind of just think you're really a smart person and I kind of was interested and I've kind of developed a pressure on you over the last couple of weeks. And he was like, oh, really? Now that's interesting. Um, and he didn't even say it like that. Like, oh, I wish I still had the messages of the way he said it because it was like super grandiose in the way he said it. Like a beautiful woman like you with such an intelligent mind, like interested in me. Like it was just like a, this super like intentionally flattering, grandiose message. And I wish, I, I swear, I wish I had saved these messages, but I did not. Um, and I was just like, of course, instead of like being like red flag, why is he being so grandiose? I was like super excited. No one had ever been that grandiose with me and like super intrigued with me before. Um, and so I was just like, okay. And so from there he was like, okay, well, I'll take it from here then. And he was like, from there, he did take it from there. He like just constantly talking to me, like, you know, what are your likes? What are your interests? What, what's your favorite book? I'll read it so that I can also know your favorite book. Like constantly like talking to me, like, like day in and day out, like just over the top contact, um, frequently telling me how pretty I am, all these sorts of things. Um, but then he's like, well, I want to meet up. Um, and so I'm still, I'm out of my relationship with my, my ex, but because of financial reasons, we are still living together. And I was like, well, you can't come over. And I have the kids and I'm working full time at this point. Um, and I was like, we'll have to just figure out a schedule because our schedules are kind of blatantly opposite. I work night usually after eight o'clock and he works days and gets, uh, you know, he gets off at eight o'clock. So we have like almost blatantly opposite schedules. Um, but one night, like, I'm like, well, I get off at, you know, 2 a.m. 
uh, at that time. And he was like, well, how about I just pick you up at 2 a.m. And there's not anything to do in our town at 2 a.m. But he's like, we can just drive around. I just want to see you in person. And at this point, this probably should have been a big red flag. But, um, but I was like, okay. And then like when we get in, like when we meet up, he picks me up at 2 a.m. I get in the car and it's just magical. Like, I don't, it was just, I don't know. He was sweeping compliments, grandiose, big gesture kind of things about how great I am, about how he's never seen anyone as beautiful as I am. Um, and that he loves that he can have such intellectual communication with someone that I'm so smart, like all of these kinds of things. But the red flag in this was, he was like, I'm glad I finally got to meet you because now I know that I can be in a relationship with you. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And he was like, well, because you're my type, you are skinny. And I was like, well, if I, I wasn't skinny, like that would have, you would have just not dated me. And he was like, no, I only date any beautiful woman. And I was like, well, that's, I don't know why at the time I thought that was like really flattering, right? Like, Oh, I'm skinny and beautiful. Um, but now like, I feel like super fetishized by that whole situation and like how much he often would bring up how he loved how I was thin and, and beautiful. And like, I was like, had the right lines is what he would say. And I don't even know what that meant, but like, he was like, it's like you're a statue goddess kind of thing. Like just constant grandiose, compliments um often coming back to my physical features um so and, yeah. and you're, you're you're coming out of a marriage here before this uh where you feel like you were not appreciated yeah i mean i was constantly isolated and stonewalled in that previous relationship and and like he never looked at me he didn't want anything physical or anything like that and so I'm just kind of like oh this is nice and and we never really even talked in my marriage like and so you know if we did talk it was like very basic like here's the bills that need paid you know what time do the kids need to get from school kind of conversations not you know the kind of conversations that I enjoyed which was political socioeconomical kind of things and and he was just all over that um and so and but even though he, that was like something that originally attracted me to him, it always, always the conversation did come back to like how pretty I was and how physically attractive I was. It was felt very, um, in hindsight, more so than like at the time, but it felt very superficial and almost like I was kind of like a trophy um, kind of thing. And I did find out later that like from his family when I met them, that I looked almost exactly like his ex-wife um and that like he had like this very specific they have to be this way kind of thing um and physically appearing kind of thing and it didn't bother me like I was just like oh well that means I live up to his standards like you know this super intelligent successful man um thinks I'm gorgeous like he owns his own company I don't know how much money he had he never really talked about it specifically but he let it be known that he could afford to go and do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it kind of thing. So I don't know, you know, details, but like he was definitely kind of grandiose and spending as well. And was just like, yeah, uh, I'll do what I want and I'll spend how I want to. And I, if I go out to dinner, I never go out to dinner unless I can order everything off the menu if I want to kind of thing. Like he like, so he was definitely kind of flattered and like 
took me on like some extravagant big dates and just definitely that big love bombing. But did, even in that, go ahead. Sorry, did you feel like uh, you, uh, like this guy chose me, he could have had anyone and like, yeah. and like I, I won this con like contest, even though in your, there wasn't anyone there, but in your <laughs> mind, like, you know, yes. this guy could have anyone and, and here it is like, I'm on this, you were on a, you were put on a pedestal and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had his own business. He had a college degree. I was working on my college degree at the time still, but I did not have a college degree. I was by all intents and purposes poor. Like I was coming out of a course, like I had enough money to pay the bills and that was it. Um, and he was just showering me with like nice fancy dinners and hotel rooms and just, you know, um, over the top. And it was like, wow, he could really be with someone far more in his league. And like, I'm not in his league. And yet he chose me anyways. I must be something more than I realized kind of thing. Like it definitely, definitely felt very flattered by the whole grandiosity of it. Um, but even in that time period, like, you know, doing what I do, I kind of saw things that were like problematic. Um, like I'm a psychology student at the time. Um, I've just gotten done studying narcissism. And I'm like, and I, I kind of had this thing where I would like jokingly diagnose people. Um, like I didn't take my own diagnosis anywhere seriously, but I'm like, Oh, you kind of match the description of this or I match the description of that. Um, and like, I was like, this guy, it's narcissistic personality disorder to a T. Like, he would tell me things, like, he would tell me, like, I'm, I always see myself as the smartest man in any room. Like, most people were dumber than me. I'm super intelligent. He would tell me things like, I don't understand other people's feelings. Like, they don't make sense to me. Like, all the blaring red flags to anyone that actually studied it, like, to actually run. And I'm just like, okay, so maybe he is, but he likes me and he has the same political beliefs as me. So that must mean he's like a good guy, right? That was my mindset. Even like, so even very early on, I kind of start seeing some things, but I didn't know enough about narcissism to realize at that point that there's no such thing as a good narcissist. I kind of convinced myself that he was a narcissist that was doing good, um, and, and that's kind of what was my mindset was very early on in the relationship. Um, our second date, um, we somehow ended up at a hotel. Um, very manipulative, actually. Like, we went to, to play mini golf and, you know, to dinner, like a normal date. Um, and then he kind of says, you know, I really enjoyed spending so much time with you. I hate to go home this early and he's like but it's late and there's nothing open in town and I don't want to sit and drive I would really love it if we just could get a hotel and, and just sit and talk we don't have to do anything physical and I'm like super like my brain's like don't do that don't do that don't do that but like he's just really putting on the flattery and the charm and like and he's like I promise nothing will happen if you don't want it to happen I'll keep my hands to myself like you know the whole spiel and it's definitely not what he actually intended and not what, of course, happened. Um, and I was like, so I kind of went and I'm like trying to talk about our favorite philosophers. And I'm like, well, who's yours and why? And I'm telling who mine is. And as I'm doing so, he's just like physically touching all over me. And like, you know, 
and and one thing led to another of course and, and we got you know physically intimate that night um and then i as I, we were doing it i did at least put up this boundary i was like okay but no kink um like it has to be very vanilla if we're gonna do this um because we had talked about kink before and that was something that i was interested in it was something he was interested in um but i was like not with somebody that i barely know um and i like put up that boundary and of course he was really really bad at boundaries um especially sexual boundaries like no matter what boundary i put up it came down within 30 minutes i i swear um so initially we do just have very vanilla sex if I may, can I say sex? I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, and then, so we have this very vanilla sex, and it's amazing. Um, I mean, he's very giving this time. I say this time because it will be the last time. Um, he's very, you know, attentive and caring and kind. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and then it kind of gets late. Um, and I was like, probably should go home. You have to work tomorrow. I have to get home and, and get my kids on the bus. My ex-husband is still there. He's, you know, they're not alone, but I, it's always been my responsibility to kind of manage the children. Um, and so, and he was like, well, I'll just take you back extra early in the morning um, and then go change my clothes and go to work. And he's like, I'm the boss. who's going to be mad kind of thing. Um, so I was like, okay, we go to sleep. Um, and then in the middle of the night, um, he woke me up basically practically having sex with me before I was even awake. Um, another big red flag that I just kind of like whooshed right over my head. Um, and he kind of really kind of implemented that kink into it. Um, and like, while, you know, in that intimate moment, while involved in kink, he said, tell me that you're mine and that you belong to me. Um, and thinking it was kind of a kink thing, I went along with it, um, even though I said no king thing to begin with, and it was like, I'm yours. Um, probably the most forgettable statement I've ever made in my life, because he then held that statement over my head for the next six months of our relationship. Um, so fasting forward a little bit, things get superheated super fast. I think by two weeks, we dropped the L word. It gave me fancy jewelry and was like, this is a symbol. I want you to always wear it. This is, this shows that I, that you are mine. And I want everyone to know that you belong to me. Like I was always a possession. I was always this thing for him to show off kind of thing. And I don't know why I didn't see it, but I, I just didn't. Um, so bear in mind, I'm working full time. I'm the only source of income in my household. Um, I have three kids. They're at home and I have limited time um but and and our schedules kind of clash and he's like constantly like hey i want to see you again i want to see you again i want to see you again when can i see you again and i'm like well I, I have to do this i you know i'll be able to see you on the weekends um but that was never enough for him it was always when can i see you next and you know i would set boundaries like you know we see each other on sundays and spend the whole weekend together every other weekend kind of thing was the arrangement. And then on Wednesday nights, we had a date too. So it's not like we were never seeing each other. We were two weeks in seeing each other three times a week kind of thing, right? And spending entire weekends together um, every other weekend. That's a but, lot. That's a lot in my mind. Yeah, it, it 
was, but I was constantly getting like this, like, we know ne- I never get to see you. Why aren't you ever spending time with me? Like, you know, I, you know, I want to spend time with somebody and if I'm in a relationship, I feel like I should be able to see them more often. Kind, like kind of thing. And just like constantly making me feel like super just awful that I couldn't give more. Mind you, like it was always how to be on his terms. Like he has two children of his own. Um, and he never would like, you know, put his children with the sitter or something or with his family and like, you know, come on a night where he had his kids. But I was always expected to kind of get a sitter or drop everything I was doing to make sure that I could come hang out with him when it was convenient for him. Like he had 30 minutes free and he was like, Hey, like, I want to come hang out with you. Like I had to figure out a way whether I was working. I mean, luckily I made my own schedule and I could like move things around, but it not looking great to the boss kind of thing. Right. Um, um, fortunately, I guess I'm good enough at my job that they didn't say anything and they had pretty lax policies, but it was just constantly like begrudging me. Um, at first it was just kind of like a, you know, you never have time for me. We never see each other kind of thing. Um, but over time that actually got like a lot more intense. Um, so kind of coming into like October, um, our group has this big Halloween party that we throw every year. Um, cause it's, it's a Facebook group, but it's actually a social group that meets up and it has outings and, and things like that. Um, and so he gets really excited, um, because he's like, Oh, I get to show you off as, as mine. Um, I get to like, you know, it's like going to prom and I have the prettiest girl on my arm kind of thing. It was the way he kind of put it. Um, and I was excited too. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, I really like this guy. He's smart. He's, you know, charming and, um, I, at that point I was still kind of feeling pretty well bummed, even though like there were these red flags and these like constant tension with me not being able to do enough, um, to meet his needs, particularly physically. Like he constantly wanted to be having sex. Like we were together, even if like we had an originally, we had an agreement that on our Sunday date, there would be no sex. We would just spend time together. But like quickly that just kind of like got completely thrown out the window, um, and he kind of, like, I would get manipulated into doing things. Like, one time, I found out after that this was a manipulative thing. I just, like, went along with it. He kind of, it, we had started kissing at a park. And I was like, I'm not doing anything at a park. Because he was obviously making moves to fool around. I was like, there's no way that I'm doing somewhere where kids could pop up. It was a rainy day. There probably wouldn't have been any kids. But I was just like, hard boundary. No way. He kept pushing and then finally like he gave up and like kind of got frustrated and mad at me. And anytime I would turn him down sexually, I would kind of get huffy to silent treatment kind of treatment. Um, until we, I gave in and you know, did stuff. Um, but he drove to this graveyard, um, and there was no one there. It was a rainy day. Uh, and we did stuff there. And then he kind of tells me like the next day he was like, I've always wanted to do things in a graveyard. I went there because I was hoping that we could do stuff or hoping that I could kind of get you to do stuff kind of thing. Um, and even when we had gone, I was like, I don't know. Like, I feel uncomfortable. We're in public. Yeah, I don't. That seems, and it's just kind of like a constant wearing down of things. You know, I never get to see you. Why are you always turning down? Like, we don't spend enough time together as it is. Like, anytime those sorts of things would happen, you kind of like, I got guilted. Um, I got so, made me feel really bad about myself for 
not being a good enough girlfriend. So at this point, you are running off of guilt, mostly. Are you afraid that if you say no and a hard no, that things would end? Um, I mean, I, I definitely think there was a fear of things ending, um, because like it, it was never like said, said, but it was kind of like, you know, I'm like this great guy for you. And, you know, I, I actually had doubts in the back of my mind, but it was like, I was never really allowed to think them. I, I mean, without a lot of guilt of even thinking them because he would kind of make it very clear that, you know, we were supposed to be getting married and and he did me the favor of introducing me to his family, which was a big deal because that made, you know, me part of his family and family was the most important thing. And I had to respect that. And like, you know, he's made this huge sacrifice. And so I need to like, make sure that I don't ruin that sacrifice in some way. But, and, and so I had to always be presented in a certain way to his family. I had to dress a certain way when I was around his family and say like, a certain way I had to avoid any conflict with them like I had to be like so so when he's not around are you feeling anxious even though he's not there about things that you should be doing or are you trying to maybe be proactive so guilt yeah. guilt doesn't uh even come up because you've already maybe taken care of what you might be guilted for so the main thing I was always guilted for was just not spending enough time for him with him. So I was, I was constantly cutting my shifts or I was, you know, actually causing fights with my already really abusive ex. Um, not like me causing the fights, but like it, leading to fights because I would be like, Hey, I, I have to go out, you know, on Tuesday night or whatever. It would, would just make him angry and not to defend my abusive ex, but I mean, he had a point like in hindsight, like I was sacrificing way too much to this relationship. Um, and I, yeah, I was finding like moments when the kids would be in bed that I could escape or, you know, like thing like ways that I could make sure that we could see each other more so that he wouldn't be mad at me for not spending enough time with him. Um, I, yeah. Um, I was moving my schedule around all the time. I was like going without sleep, a lot of going without sleep. I was working six days a week. And I just, yeah, uh, I was utterly exhausted from just trying to move things around. Um, and at this point, I didn't even realize it was, I mean, I had some doubts too. When I was, whenever I was like away from him, I, my brain would clear up a little bit and it would be like, what is going on here? That something about this does not seem right. But I was just like, well, I mean, I don't know that that's not the case. I'm probably just feeling a little bit uncomfortable from having coming out of this last relationship and I'm placing that on him and I don't need to do that. I need to just enjoy this moment. He's a really great guy. He's really smart. He's, you know, really successful and he really cares about me. He tells me all the time how beautiful I am and how important I am. Um, so I'm trying to make sure that I'm avoiding kind of things going back at this point and, and, you know, making sure that I'm respecting that he made me part of his family by introducing me to his family. Um, which I mean, in hindsight, like it almost seems absurd, like introducing me to your, your family doesn't 
obligate me somehow to like be perfect in every way all the time and like live up to your every expectation. But it would also be things like, well, you're mine. And that's not how my girl is supposed to act. My girl would never do those things kind of thing. And it would like be put on me that I'm supposed to behave in a certain way because I was his belonging almost. Like it was constant things like that too. Like, oh, well, that's not how, you know, my girl would act. That's not how someone that I'm with should behave kind of thing. Like, but it it, it was almost always framed like my belonging almost, you know, It, it practically was like my toy. It was practically what he was saying and the tone that he took when he would phrase these things. Um, like if I were to get into a fight with my ex-husband, he was like, that's not how my, my girl would behave. She wouldn't get into a fight. Um, you know, or if I, um, wore the wrong outfit, this is not something my girl would wear, um, kind of thing. And I didn't even see it as controlling at the time. Like I was just like, I was kind of just like, oh, well, I do, I want to make him happy. I want to like make sure he's attracted to me. I don't mind changing my outfit kind of thing. Um, it, yeah, it was just exhausting trying to live up to this like huge expectation of making sure I'm providing all the time for him, all the sex for him that he wants. Um, when we would have time together, um, it was just like nonstop sex, which probably should not be a complaint, but it was because I mean, he would wake me up out of sleep, you know, several times a night, like, and no meant really kind of nothing in the situation. Um, not that I like said no because I wasn't really allowed to say no. It was always like a feeling like I'm not allowed to say no. Um, and so I kind of didn't specifically say no, but I would like wake up groggy and be like, uh, I'm just waking up, you know, like go away kind of thing. And things would continue. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah. So the first time I actually told him no to sex, um, I, we woke up, it was like five and six in the morning. Um, I had to be home by a certain time to get my son on the bus. Um, and he had to go to work. And I, and I was like, we woke up too late. We hit the snooze button. We can't like, it wasn't even because like a, like, I don't want to sleep with you. It was a practicality thing. I was already running late. We had to go. You know, and I was like, I can't, you know, we have to get home or I have to get home. You have to get to work, those sorts of things. Um, and then he, um, yeah, so he, he kind of grumbled up and stopped talking. Um, he got really huffy, um, and he didn't say anything to me the entire drive home, like not a single word. And then I was like, what's up with that? Um, I didn't even really think about it. And then like, when I got home, um, I told him that I had a great weekend, um, and I love spending time with him, something like that. And then, um, he didn't message me back, which was unusual because he like constantly texted me. Um, you know, usually that love bomb thing, like frequent, constant communication, just always there. And I was like, okay, well, that's weird. And then like, he didn't say anything to me the rest of the day until that night about the time that he would have gotten off work. Um, and he then messages me and he was like, he was like, I don't like that you told me no this morning. And I was like, I'm really sorry. I was just trying to be practical. And he was just like, we never get to see each other anyways. Right. Which wasn't even true. I mean, like we were frequently seeing each other, but he was like, you're always, you're, because of you and your situation, we never get to see each other. 
and we're like, this is not the relationship that I would want. And, you know, put me in this place, like essentially telling me like, if this doesn't get better, if you ever say no again, kind of thing that, um, then I'm going to end things. And I was like, okay, I understand. I'm so, so sorry. You know, I'm, you know, I understand that things are hard. And then here I go self-sacrificing again, like, well, when's it, you know, I can move my schedule around and we can see each other, you know, um, tomorrow night and I can, and we can, you know, do things then kind of thing. And he took me up on that. Um, but it was still just constantly like I had to give, I had to move things around. I had to like find ways to mitigate damage. Um, my son's birthday party came around and I was like, and went to invite him to come bring his girls, um, to the, the party. And then I was like, uh, and then he was like, well, I have to ask, um, my ex-wife, um, which they didn't talk, which I always kind of thought was a little suspicious and was a bit of a red flag to me too. Like they only talked through family. Um, but I didn't really question it. And he, then he was like, he, he's like, I actually messaged her. And I was like, Oh, that's new. Um, you know? And he was like, and he was like, she was really like upset to find out that I'm in a relationship and she offered to, um, have sex with me if I would break up with you. And I was like, Oh, like kind of surprised that he would share that kind of thing. Um, and then he follows up that up with, um, uh, he was like, if I had been there in person with her, I would have taken her up on that. And I'm like, wait, what? You're supposed to love me. We're in a relationship. Like I thought things were perfect. I'm a member of your family. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing and I'm like I didn't even say anything I just started crying um and he was like he got mad he blew up on me and he was like he was like how dare you get upset like when I'm being honest with you and I'm telling you the truth like that's what we're supposed to do in relationships is tell each other the truth like you know I was honest with you and here you are crying about it like why are you so upset like I why are you upset at me for telling the truth to you? Um, like, don't be so overdramatic. It, you know, I would, and like, I don't even remember, like he had this thing where he would just like go off and like, just give me like paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph before I could even respond kind of thing. Um, and I was just like, I don't remember the details of this conversation, but I do know at the end of the conversation, I apologize for getting upset with him when he was being honest with me. Like just the, like the way he twisted it and made it seem like I was being overdramatic and I should appreciate the fact that he was honest with me and told me that he would have slept with his ex. Um, if he had been there, like I was supposed to really just appreciate those moments. Um, another moment that happened shortly after that is he told me kind of about their first time because I'd always known she was like super hyper religious. Um, and, and that was why their marriage had fallen apart. Um, and like he said, Oh yeah, we had sex on our first date. And I was like, really? And I was like, how did you, how did that happen? It didn't add up, you know, with what I knew about religiousness and stuff like that. And he was just like, he told me the story and it was almost word for word. Like the first time we had had sex where he just like, pushed and pushed and pushed and like I was like that sounds really manipulative and he goes yeah it was kind of thing and just like very he was very aware 
of his behaviors. Like, and, um, and I was like shocked by that. And I was like, you would never manipulate me. Would you like not realizing that he in fact was still, you know, actively doing that. And then he got mad at me about that too. And he was like, why would you like, you know, I told you the truth. I was honest with you. You asked a question. Um, and I shared with you and, and here you are, um, telling me, you know, that you're hurt by that or, or scared by that. Like how, how dare you be upset with me? Like, it was just always this kind of thing where I had emotions, like it was terrible and I should apologize for it. And, and every argument I kind of apologize for, um, at one point, I, yeah, kind of moving forward a little bit, um, we were having a conversation and, um, the first time he ever kind of devalued me. Um, and I don't even remember what the conversation was or how it started. Um, I just remember he kind of said, uh, don't be a stupid slut. And I was like, whoa, that's not okay. And I was like, yeah, you shouldn't call me that. And like, we got into like this huge thing, but like, as always, he kind of twisted it and manipulated it. And he was just like, I don't know why you're getting so upset about this. I don't know why you're so worked up about it. It's just a comment. It's just a name. Um, and he told me like, at the end, he was like, well, we have this, you know, sexual, hypersexual relationship. I thought it was just part of, of the kink and, and you're my girl and, and you're supposed to like, let me kind of just say these sort of things. And, and that was kind of, I was just utterly blown away. And then I, was like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I got upset. I just really took it as really like you calling me names and I didn't like it and didn't appreciate it. I'm, I'm sorry that I caused an argument, um, was the end of that, that conversation. I mean, after a lot of like words, um, were had kind of in between. Um, so yeah, so this relationship got really, really toxic, really fast. Um, there were a lot of little moments where he would call me names or accuse me of things. Um, and he would use semantics as his favorite way of kind of manipulating things. Like if I said, you know, I don't use, like I, for example, I, I told him once, I don't use Snapchat very much um, because I don't. And I was like, I don't really talk to very many people on there. I don't have a whole lot of friends on there and friends I do have don't really use it. Um, and then one day, like he was holding my phone and my Snapchat went off. And then he was like, I thought you said you don't use Snapchat very much. And I was like, well, I don't. Like, there's like one person that every great once in a while messages me. And he was like, well, how is that not very much? If they, you know, message you and, and they talk to you and you said you don't really use it. And like, just kind of like, would like pull out like dictionary definitions and bites to kind of like twist it and be like, well, this is what this specifically exactly means, you know? kind of thing and like and you said this word is this not exactly what you meant to where I'm like well no that's not exactly what I meant and then you were like okay so you're a liar and I was like well, no it's just like a word choice sorry if it was a poor word choice but I didn't mean like that specific definition and it, and it just and then I would kind of end up apologizing yet again and like and he actually used that to kind of um control who I could talk to he then told me I could no longer talk to anyone on snapchat um, well, originally when he got into the, that, he, I was like, I'm not going to be controlled. I've seen my mom be controlled. I've seen, you know, my 
all the women in my family go through abusive relationships. I'm not going to let that happen. You can't tell me who I can talk to and how I can talk to them. And yeah. And so he, he then he kind of got really mad. You said you were my girl and you're not going to do things that, you know, and I brought you into my family and you don't respect that. You don't care about that. Um, you know, in that sort of thing. And then, and then, so I was like, okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that I didn't, you know, respect the sacrifice that you made enough. Um, I'll, I'll delete Snapchat. I won't talk to anybody on there. Um, and basically the only person at that point I was allowed to talk to was my sisters. Um, I mean, I still admin this big group. So, you know, I had social interactions and like a vague way, but not like I wasn't allowed direct communication with anyone other than my sisters. I lived with my ex-husband, but he encouraged me not to talk to my ex-husband. Um, and I was allowed to talk to his family. Um, so that, I mean, it kind of got to that point where I was only allowed to talk to certain people. And even still, I didn't quite call it up at that point. I was like, that, you know, he said he loved me. He said he wanted to build a life with me. He said he practically sees me as his wife right now. Um, and he wants to move in together. Like, all of these things is kind of rationalizing what's going on. Like, yes, it's a little bit bad, but this is my fault because I'm creating this tension because, you know, we can't hang out all the time and, and I'm not spending enough time with him. Um, so I'm just kind of, like, defending some of his behaviors as him being upset because of what I'm doing. It's my fault. I brought this all on. Um, and at this point, I'm even blaming myself for, like, I shouldn't have gotten to a relationship, you know, so quickly, which is true, but not for the same reasons, you know, that I was beating myself up about it at that point. Um, and, yeah, so on one weekend, kind of early March times, well, no, it wasn't quite March. It was February. Um, uh, yeah, I think like 2019, um, he, we, we get together and he's like, okay, we're going to take this big fancy trip. We're going to go get a cabin in the woods. It's just going to be the two of us. It's going to be super great. Um, so we get to the cabin and we, you know, are there and we basically just physically intent the whole time. No sleep is had, which, because it's never had when we're together, it's constant, like, I'm expected to be on the go and ready for sex at all points in time. Um, and I'm, again, at this point, I'm terrified to say, say no. Like, I, and I'm like, just kind of go with it. You know, it's fine. There's no, I mean, why would I even really mind? Sex is good, right? So why am I going to complain kind of thing? Um, even though I'm exhausted, like, I'm just, physically exhausted we, we'd gone to a party and I fell asleep at the party kind of exhausted um but so we didn't go to sleep till like four in the morning uh or something like that that night and then got up at like eight but then um normally this is the day that I would go home but we wanted to spend a little bit more time together before I did um and so we go back to his house and he actually lives with his family um, all his family, like, live in, a, like, a basically little commune um, of houses next to each other. And he lives in the house with his mother um, because his his reasoning, he said, was because if, even though he makes all this money is because he still pays for his ex-wife's house. And he didn't want to have to pay a mortgage, basically, um, 
second mortgage while still paying for that one. Um, and so that was fine. The rule was we just would never be intimate there. Um, because the first conversation I ever had with his mother, she was like, I still view him as, as a virgin. And like, we both knew she was kind of kidding because like, obviously he has kids, so not the case, but you know, clearly she did not want to hear about or know about any physical intimacy. And I like really went out of my way to respect that because it was his mom and his family was important family first and I can't do anything to damage that relationship because if I damage that relationship with his family, I could be in trouble because I have to constantly be showing them uh, this lady sophisticated persona. Um, I was supposed to be kind of basically a, a lady in the street, freak in the sheet, if you will, thing for him. Like this little play thing that he could use how he wanted in whatever situation that he wanted. Um we get back to his mom's house and usually we sit and talk to his mom um, for a little bit. And we did for a few minutes, but then he gets up and he's like, I'm going to my room. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go with you. Cause I'm like so tired. All I want in the whole wide world is just an hour of sleep at this point. Um, and so I go in to the room with him and, um, and we're laying down and almost immediately, like he starts, fondling me and trying to like take my clothes off and, and basically initiate sex. And I was like, no, like this was kind of like in my mind on the hard boundary. I was not having sex in his mom's house. Um, and I was like, no. And he was like, come on, uh, Bernadette. Uh, I will, you know, it, you know, you want to, just, you're my, you're my girl. You're supposed to do what I want. Um, like just kind of egging me on and like begging kind of thing. And I'm just like, no, and I, like, fully explain it to you. I'm like, no, your mom is in that room, like, right next to your room. I don't want to be heard doing that in your mom's house. Like, there's absolutely no way. And I'm like, put down, no. Um, and then he, like, keeps kind of egging things on. And I was like, I'll use my safe word, um, which I had never even been brave enough to even mention my, that I even had a safe word, even though we'd had the conversation. So he knew the safe word. Um, but he was like, well, I'll just force you is basically what he said. Um, and I just really froze up. Like there was like childhood trauma kind of that played into my mindset at this point. Um, Cause there were times when I was a kid when my, my brother was molesting me, whereas like my family would overhear um, and come into the room and find us like awake. Um, like we would get, you know, spankings or whatever for being awake kind of thing. Um, so I kind of learned to like, just be as quiet as possible in those sorts of moments. Um, and so like my biggest, my brain in my head at that moment goes, just lay here, lay still, don't bite. You won't get hurt kind of thing. And so that's what I did. Um, and I felt like super gross and super violated, um, at that point. But I just, I, it took a long time for me to recognize that for what it was, right? Like I was essentially, you know, forced to have sex with him under threat that if I didn't, I was going to be raped, which in itself, you know, is a, is a form of rape. And I was just, but I didn't see it. And I, I continued this relationship for a couple more months. Um, and the straw that broke the camel's back was just not even something that I think you know, compared to some of the other moments was a big deal, but I was just 
one day, like he was supposed to be going out of town to this like really big, cool trip. Um, and he was going to be out of town for like three or four weeks and, um, for travel. And he was like, and, and I had forgotten the dates. And so I just messaged him like, Hey, what dates are you going to be out of town? Cause I'm trying to get some extra work hours in because I have like neglected work. And I'm just like trying to schedule that weekend, um, for some hours at work. And he was like, why? So you can go sleep with somebody else kind of thing. Like, and I was like, wait, what? A, when would I ever have time to like be with anyone else? And, and B, like, I, I've never shown any signs like of ever wanting to be with anyone else. I've never attempted to like, I've never, you know, had conversations. Like I'm not even talking to anyone, you know, not even friends. And I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? Like I was super hurt. And I was like, I was like, I just wanted to make my work schedule. Like, how could you accuse me of cheating on you? Um, and then it kind of became like this like huge thing. Like I was just being too sensitive. It was just a joke. Um, like why did, why did I always start fights, which was a familiar trope that I had heard before. Um, and I got really just upset for like, I was just like kind of all the manipulation and things had been building my head. I was kind of keeping score and I was just like, I don't want to be degraded. I don't want to be made to feel bad for asking a simple question, such as when are you going out of town? And, um, I was like, I've gotten to a big fight. He made me feel really guilty and really bad, um, about getting upset. And, and I was like, you know what? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm such a you know horrible person. Let's just call this quick. So you don't have to be with, with me anymore. Um, cause at that point, like even in that conversation, it's like as much as I'm like, this is wrong. There's like manipulation here. There's problematic things about our relationship. I'm still like able to, he's still able to twist things and make me feel like super, super guilty, um, about it all. Um, so he calls me and I like, I don't answer because I'm just like, I know that if I hear his voice, I won't be able to, you know, keep to my own guns or at least I thought I wouldn't I, I somehow managed to be like by the skin of my teeth but he's like begging me and he's like you know I let you into my family how dare you in things now I you know I thought we were together in this I thought this was forever um you know I I you're my girl you gave yourself to me you said you were mine how can you just pull out of this like why would you just end this and like I'm just like you know there's all of these things that are going on um and that's just overwhelming and I can't constantly fight with you and constantly just you know I can't give you what you obviously need and I'm just I can't I can't be the person that you want me to be um and then he tells me are you sure? Because if I hang up this phone, I'm never talking to you again. Um, and that's pretty like hard to hear because like we talk all day, every day for the last six or seven months. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, there's a part of me that's like, yes, run. And then there's this part of me that's like, I don't want to like be disconnected from him. I can't do that. I'm going to lose him. Um, and he just keeps asking and I just keep crying and like, I can't even talk. Like I'm just completely inarticulate. And so he ends up hanging up before I can even like answer, which is probably good because I probably would have told him that I'm not sure. And that I do want, because that's where I was landing and all this and this like mental confusion. 
was that I needed him. Somehow he was special. Somehow, like, I was never going to be able to have someone that cherished me as much as he did in those good moments. And that there were so many good moments, and I was just throwing it all away because of a few bad moments. And that's where my brain... But that wasn't even, you know, the end. Um, He reached out a few weeks later um, and was checking in on me. And how are you doing? Um, you know, I really miss you. Like this, we had such, you know, great times together. You really were something special, all of those things. Um, and, and then I'm kind of getting suckered back in, but, um, the suckering is just honestly something I, I can't even, I don't know if I can put this into words, but um, like I'm wanting back in at this point. I'm like, yes, let's get back together kind of thing. But he is very, very tricky and manipulative. And he was like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I really miss you and you were really special. And I, you know, I, I really loved you, but I just, I don't know if I can do that. And he was like, I think I need more control than you're willing to give me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, like naive, dumb me at this point it's like well what do you need what kind of control i'll i'm willing to try like i'll give you what you want do you want to make my dietary schedule like i'll give you can make my dietary schedule do you want to like make my work schedule i will do it to get back into this relationship like i'm basically begging and pleading and just willing to like he and he did he was like yeah i mean that's what i want but i don't think you can give that to me and he's just like twisting it like kind of like seeing how much he can kind of get me to give up and he's like, I, you know, and, and testing me. And he was like, well, we'll just see when I get back from my trip, how things go. Um, so in, in, in a way that's that possibility of breaking up for good was a hard withdrawal of drugs going no Turkey. And then your response to that, I use the term jonesing. I don't know. I don't know if that's just a family thing or a thing with my friends. Yeah, I've but, heard the term, yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, it, it, it had a reaction in you where you wanted, you the like, you were jonesing so bad that <sighs> you would do anything yeah. to get it back. And that, in, in, in this way, it was giving up all of your freedom. Yeah, and that's what he was, I mean, he told me, like, straight up that that's what he wanted. He was like, you can't give me as much control as I want. I don't think you're capable of that. He's like, I think you're too smart and independent. I don't think you're able to do it. And he's, like, goading me into it, you know. He's, like, seeing what I'll say he can have and what he can do. And I'm just like, I'm offering whatever I can think to offer, you know. Like, you know, you can do whatever you want. I mean, we can have whenever you want we you can you know make my daily schedule we can spend as much time together as as you want um you know i'm willing to put it all on the line to kind of get back together and he kind of then goes into some future baking um he's like well we'll see what happens when i get back and he's just like holding it over my head testing the waters and he's like well you know it would be nice to at least see you physically. And so he uses that. I go and we are intimate and then he goes on his trip and then he's like, you know, still kind of like this balance between like talking about how great things were, love bombing at this point, 
is back on that hoovering, um, how amazing I am, how he really wants me, how he misses me, how I'm the best thing that's ever happened in his life, how he's never met anyone else. Yeah, the whole shebang. But then it's followed with, I don't know that you can do what I need you to do. Or, you know, even like kind of complaining that I'm, you know, still living with my ex because our, our lease isn't up for another couple months. And I'm just like, I, you know, I don't. I don't know like what I can do when I'm trying. And then he would like, yeah. And then he, while he was on his trip, he was like, are you going to go out and just like sleep with other dudes? Like we're not even together. Like theoretically, if I wanted to, like that would have totally been within my rights to do. But I was like, no, absolutely not. I'll do anything for you. Like, so he basically did the same thing he'd done to me that like caused me to break up with him. I just like skimmed completely over it and was like, no, of course not. You're the only person that I want you're the only person that I care about I was dumb I made a huge mistake I was just being overly emotional I you know reacted it was you know I didn't mean it I'm apologizing he's like completely dragging it out for everything that it's worth um he comes back we're more intimate but he's still kind of holding it over my head and he was like well maybe once you and your ex are no longer living together then we can see them so it moved from when I get back from my trip to when you and your ex are no longer living together, um, kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it keeps going. It's like a constant, constant thing of, and like, I'm giving up things. Like I'm still going to meet up with him. I'm going to like have sex with him. He's getting everything that he could want out of the situation at this point, but I'm not intelligent enough to have seen it to like say, Oh, you know what? He's like using the situation to be able to get all the perks that he liked before without, you know, any of the strings attached. He's faking me out, you know, keeping me and telling, I'm telling him like, you can sleep with other women. I won't sleep with other men. Like you can do whatever you want. I'm just laying it on thick a little bit, to be honest, just to try and like get back what I feel like I've lost because I'm utterly well, addicted. Well, right now, if you were, an electric fence. He knows exactly where the uh, electrical box is to shut the electricity off completely uh, yeah. and walk through at any time he wants to. He's learned, he like the whole setup of everything that happened, that withdrawal for you was just massive and um who knows if that even took him by surprise of how well that withdrawal uh worked in that sense but at that point uh you had zero control like none anymore like he was able to pull whatever lever he wanted to or needed to and knew exactly at that point all of the levers that he had and what each one of them did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he did, he got me to do things that like I never thought I would do. Um, like there was like this whole thing that he went with my ex-husband where he, my ex-husband told me that he had the neighbors watching me and that if anyone else besides me or the kids ever went in the house, that he would basically take the kids away from me. And I don't know. I, I believed him for whatever reason kind of thing. Um, and so like that was something my ex always wanted was like to be able to come visit me in my home. And I, like, despite like this big 
thing that I'm like scared to do. And I actually even invited him into the house, taking that huge risk, you know, like with my kids. Um, not that I think my ex had a whole lot of leverage now that I'm out of that situation. But at the time I was scared about that. And I was like, well, I'm sure that, you know, like the neighbors can't possibly see everything kind of thing. Um, and so I, I even let him in the house. Like I took so many risks and was just, yeah, willing to do whatever it took. And he knew, and he definitely played it up. Um, the only thing that kind of saved me out of this whole situation uh, was just kind of a, an accident, if you will. Um, so I was going to a social event for the club kind of thing that I, I admined um, that he was kind of hosting. Um, it was like a philosophical debate group night like it was kind of casual we sat around and drank beer and talked about whatever topic um and um so i went and went with him actually um and we're sitting around we're talking and like this other guy came and this guy was kind of being like a little bit flirtatious and was you know um and i think he felt threatened by that um and i i probably laughed at a few things that he said or something um and, and he, when he dropped me off, he was like, it's time for you to move on. Like he basically discarded me at that point and was like, it's time for you to move on. Um, you know, this, you need to, you obviously, you know, have feelings for other people and you can look at other people kind of thing. Um, and so if you can do that, you obviously can't give me the control that I want. And, um, so, you know, I wish you the best of luck and, yeah, dropped me off, kicked me out the car, basically, and, and then blocked me, um, which was the best thing that he could have ever done for me, even though he did not know it at that time. Um, I went into the house, and something I tell my clients to do after a bad breakup is to write pros and con lists, um, use the relationship as a learning opportunity. And so I sat down. Like, for the first time after any breakup in my life, because I'm not necessarily one of those people that follows my own advice, um, and I started writing. And I meant to write a, a pro-con list, but and it started out that way, but towards the end, I was like, and one last thing. And then I wrote out, basically, the rape situation. Um, and as I wrote it, like, it kind of became very clear that what what that was, and then, and then it kind of made the whole relationship, like, there were no pros then, you know, there was some flattery and, and he was intelligent and things like that. Very superficial surface level grandiosity. But underneath that, like there were cons, there were a ton of cons. Um, and that situation just became very blaring. Um, it probably still wasn't enough to get me to separate, but I was confused about what I had written in a way. Like it was like the words spilled out on the paper and I reread it and I was like, Oh my gosh, what happened? Um, and so a good friend of mine who is also has her degree in psychology, who works with me, I, I was like, Hey, I, there's this something that I just wrote like a journal. So please don't judge me for my chaotic, like weird thoughts, but can I share this with you? And like, like get, see if you have any clarity to this situation. Um, and she was actually the first one to use the R word. Cause at that point I was like, basically refusing to call it that. Um, I was just like, I felt violated in the situation. Like he crossed my boundary. 
is how I, I viewed it. But that's a big, big boundary to cross. Um, and she wrote back and she was like, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to go drink some whiskey and, and cuddle my dogs. And you need to stay away from him. You need to block him. You need to put his name in your contacts as narcissistic asshole. Um, like this whole thing. And she just basically coached me through going no contact, um, which was hard. Like, and I, yeah, I just had like utter withdrawals and it was like a drug addiction. Not that I've ever used drugs. So I probably shouldn't say that. I don't know what that's like, but it's the closest I'll ever probably be. Um, cause I was just like, constantly thinking about him constantly thinking about texting him or calling him or you know you know what how can I be in contact with him I don't like not having contact with him this is awful what you know what have I given up and then like you know I would kind of like chant a little mantra in my head that you know he is a narcissist narcissist are bad and then I would kind of just chant it over and over in my head until I kind of felt a little bit calmer but I wasn't really calm um and yeah so Fast forward, we still hadn't, this wasn't even the end to end. Um, he was still running this meeting in our group and I was the secretary. So I kind of like the social aspect of the group um, outside of the Facebook world. Um, and so I had to post, it was my job to post a group events. So I wasn't allowed to block him on Facebook according to our president um, of the group because I needed to be able to get that information from him to post it for the, the group. Um, and I hadn't gone. I'd avoided it. I like avoided him as much as I could. Um, and then I'm just like, one day decided there was a topic that I really liked and I really, you know, enjoy kind of debate and conversation. And I was like, I really want to go to that. So I talked to the friend that I mentioned a minute ago's husband into going with me. So we go and in the moment, I don't remember, like there was something said that we all have choices in our life and you know, we choose the bad things. Like somebody said that. And then I was like, I kind of just like, well, what if this? And I basically laid out the scenario of when he forced me, um, you know, to have sex. And I was like, was, was that the person's fault? Did they choose that? And like his face got like very angry, but he's in a crowd. And of course he has to have good positive presentation for other people and put on that show. Um, and, and, you know, I should not have gone. I should not have brought that up. I should not have been there. Um, but I just got triggered in that moment. And I was like, I, I took that opportunity. And then he messaged me on Facebook, which I had not blocked him on Facebook because of the other reasons, um, about something other than that. And he was like, he was like, you know, something started off with love bombing. It was good to see you last night. You looked so beautiful. Um, you know, if you're going to show up to my events, do you have to look so, so gorgeous and, and refined or something? I don't know. Just like the big grandiose flattery. And I, even though I'm like hardcore, he's a narcissist, he's a narcissist, he's a narcissist. Um, like I'm, I'm getting suckered back in. My brain is getting twisted in that moment. Just like any little bit of communication with him and I'm getting suckered back in. And so then I kind of just took the opportunity to confront him and, and tell him about what happened which he denied. Like he was like, I don't remember ever having sex at my mom's house. And I was like, what? Like, how do you not remember that? That's the only time we've ever done that. Like, how can you, you know? And I obviously realized now that he, this is denial because it's text message and he doesn't want screenshots of him, you know, owning the situation. But he's like, I'm sorry that, you know, you felt that way, but if that's how you felt, but that never happened kind of thing. 
And I'm like, but it definitely happened. And I'm like confused and like flabbergasted. Um, and I think it was in that moment that I realized I'm not special. Like I, at this point, I didn't think I needed to tell anybody else. I didn't need to protect other members of the group because you know, I was special. He was only going to chase me. Those other girls in the group, they were fine. He wasn't going to do the same thing um, kind of mindset. And then it kind of occurred to me, I have to get this word out. Um, and it kind of just came out with like a simple, like a girl that was new to the group had messaged me around the same time that he messaged me. Um, and she said that she had a really good time and, and like, she like enjoyed meeting me. And I was like, Oh, me too. Um, and then she, and then I was like, just spontaneously, like, you know, I want to let you know, like, just if you were ever thinking about dating NARC, um, you know, be careful. And I didn't even give her the whole story. I was just like, be careful. And she was like, thanks. And she was like, here's this social media group that I created for, you know, girls that are dating and, and stuff locally to kind of put out any bad situations they've had um, to protect each other, which is an amazing idea. Um and so she added me to the group, and it took me a while, but I eventually, like, I blocked my narc again um, on social media, and uh, an agreement came with the president that he could pass along messages or whatever. Um, eventually, I did post it in this group. It's a private group, so it was kind of like, hopefully it never got back to him. That was part of the group rules, but of course, that's not how social media works. But um, it, and, um, and then eventually, I kind of was like, I'm putting other women at risk by having, by posting these events for him to basically meet whoever he wants to kind of thing. Um, I did put it out there to the group, um, that, um, you know, what had happened, the whole story. And he emailed me this really long, nasty email about how I was a liar and I was a toxic person. My sisters were toxic people. Um, which I don't even really know why he called them toxic. He had never really spent that much time with them. Um, and at the end of it, like I was questioning, am I the one that was actually narcissistic in this whole situation? Was I the person in the wrong? Like maybe I was. Um, and I like cried thinking I was a narcissist one night and like was just super upset. And I was like, I I'm this horrible person that like told other people about him. Um, and my, the friend who is the psychiatrist, like, one night she was, like, I kind of told her about my concern, and she brings out the DSM because that's the kind of person she is. I absolutely love this person. Um, and, like, she's just, like, she's not, not showing me, but she's just, like, you know, going through the DSM. And she's, like, you know, like, asking me questions, basically. And she was, like, you don't have any of the marks of a narcissist. She's, like, she's, like maybe, you know, a little bit of borderline, but not even enough to meet that diagnosis. Like you're being insane. Um, she was more gentle than, than that, but she's definitely more rough than she would be with like an actual client. Um, and, and I was like, I, you know, I kind of still struggle with that. I still kind of go back and forth sometimes. Like maybe I was the one in the wrong in this whole situation. And I've, yeah. Um, but I, I haven't talked to him since, June or July of um, last year, 2019, I did not date for six months. I just did all the things that I tell my clients to do. Um, you know, I journaled and I journaled and I journaled and I 
and saw my therapist. Um, and I'm not healed. I still have flashbacks. Like sometimes I dream about him and it's like, he's in my head all over again, manipulating me, um, kind of thing. Like, I feel like this like weird trapped bubble kind of thing, um, in my, my flashback nightmares. Um, I, you know, but I, I'm doing better in a lot of ways and more aware of my codependency, um, and, and things so that I can kind of have a little bit more control over it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long, so just a, a one quick question before I get into other stuff. A lot of people email me about dreams um, mm-hmm. and having their ex uh, show up in their dreams and it bothers them a lot because, you know, you're, you know, sometimes, you know, during your waking hours, you're overthinking things and now here you are trying to sleep in your moments of peace and mm-hmm. they end up in your dreams and there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, you, you hear a lot of therapists say like in, in regular time, like get them out of your head. And when you're in, in, in a, in your waking uh, state mm-hmm. um, that, you know, you have an opportunity to think about them or not think about them. But when you're asleep and you can't do anything about it and you're trapped um, in that, what does your therapist say about uh, your dreams and how to deal with that and maybe how it lessens over time? Yeah, so, I mean, I've definitely been told that it lessens over time. I've been told to journal before sleep so I can kind of deal with those unconscious, you know, thoughts before they kind of come up in the the sleep time, you know, when I'm not in control of what's being thought and said. Um, Yeah, but it's really just kind of a a time thing and a healing thing. Um, It got so bad that, like, I was just, like, scared to sleep, and so I I even was given medication to help with that. Like, that's pretty bad. Um, Like, there was never any, like, physical fights with my narcissist, although he would do things during sex that were physical, but it was always under the guise that it was sex and kink, um, even though it wasn't things that we necessarily consented to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had the answer on sleep because, you know, those things help a little bit, but it still, that's like the hardest part to overcome because yeah, you do have so little control in that area. And when it comes to your, uh, I guess PTSD and maybe the issues that you had previous to this relationship. Uh, what were, you said codependency. What are, I guess, like the biggest things that you uh, need? Like what is the first thing you need to work on uh, in a, a list of a, probably, uh, it sounds like, like a big list of things that you want to uh, resolve before you get into your next relationship. Yeah. Um, so I had to learn to be comfortable being alone and feel safe being alone again. Um, yeah, I, um, I, and yeah, I, I just, I was never okay with just being alone in the silence after like I came out of that, that silent part of my life when I was in the military, I was always silent. And then I came out of that and I was like, I didn't want to be silent. I always wanted to be around people. And I had to like learn to love myself 
and learn to be okay with me with, you know, even if I'm not this like perfect goddess that my narc made it sound like I was like that, that was okay. And I had to learn to like love who I am regardless without anyone validating that I had to learn to just be okay in the, in the silence without having to drown it out, even with just a TV. Um, because if you have that tendency, you will cling to things that aren't good for you, right? Because that fear of being alone makes it seem like anything's better than that. Um, but it, it's not. Um, being alone is, is much better than being controlled, being manipulated, being utterly exhausted and depressed and not even understanding why um, you're in that mental headspace. So, yeah. Does that answer the question? And I guess, you know, before we uh, end off the show, what are the biggest words of advice you have you have for others that are going through uh, the same thing or uh, words of wisdom? Yeah. So, so two things. Process your breakups before you start dating someone else. Allow yourself the time to deal with that um, and deal with just being with yourself a little bit. And the... Um, Second thing that I would say, um, trust your instinct, um, and it's not going to get better. Um, like if you think it's going to get better, it's not. If it's just, it's getting worse and there's no way it's just going to flip a script and, and get better. So leave before, you know, the final shoe drop. Don't wait, wait for it to get that far. Well, Bernadette, thank you for being here with me this evening and uh, you know you were you told your story wonderfully and I'm sorry that you had to go through all of this but you had a lot of helpful uh, information in there uh, for everyone to learn from Uh, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, being here with me today thank you for having me well you're welcome And for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night.